Some of us at least are in politics because we have a belief of the kind of country we should live in and what we want to leave to our children as their future. Right? So we have some principles, we have some vision, we have some values. Based on that, we uh, communicate to the people, run for election, get elected. Once we get elected, every single action of ours, from formulation of laws to allocation of funds, to revenue generation, to expense management, to schemes, all of it for good politicians should be tied back to the overarching philosophy, the values, the reason for which we came to politics. Now, I'm the first guy to say that if a government does not have any revenues, then it ceases to exist, right? it becomes bankrupt. So, I have said many times before, this notion of zero tax and all that is just a kind of uh, ill-informed notion. Your government has to raise money in some way, otherwise the government doesn't have any money to spend. In fact, one of the important functions of government is redistribution, taking from those who can afford to pay and covering those who are too poor, too weak, too sick, providing uh, you know, social security benefits or health care or giving equal access, providing quality education to those who cannot pay their own fees. So, in fact, if you look around the world, those parts of the world that have very high quality of life indices like Scandinavia, like Australia, like some parts of Western Europe, you will find that the government's revenues as a percentage of the GDP or the GSDP that is, the size of the government's role in the economy will be 25, 30, 35%. Why is that? Because they provide comprehensive benefits for everybody, not just education, not just healthcare, housing, you know, uh, maternity leave, paternity leave. They provide every uh, kind of value add to a life that makes sure that the lowest level of the pyramid is already living a good life. That is not a, you know, it's not a random correlation. It is a clear logic that the government chooses to have that kind of role. Now, if you go to a country like uh, the United States, where at least in its own uh, nature it's capitalistic, then it doesn't intend to do that much because there's always this risk that government becomes inefficient or corrupt or it spends money to perpetuate itself. So there's the whole right uh, kind of economic right-wing philosophy of small government and you cut back. But even in a country like the United States, it's not uh, uncommon for it to be 20 to 25 percent, the size of the budget, the government, government's revenues relative to the overall uh, economy. And during the pandemic, it becomes much higher, right? They, they put in 10 percent of the GDP, a trillion dollars as a stimulus, or uh, twice. So. The real issue is, every government needs money, every government spends money. What is the philosophy that drives how you raise the money, what kind of taxation, from what kind of people, at what kind of rate, and then how do you spend the money? I don't want to talk about too many other people or parties, but I will draw the clear distinction between the union government of the last seven years and at least the DMK government of the last year. To some extent, I'll attribute that to all Dravidian parties. In fact, to all parties that have ever uh, run governments in Tamil Nadu or Madras state or Madras presidency. We are an inclusive 
kind of social justice, economic opportunity, lower the Gini coefficient, provide education and upliftment opportunities for all kind of government. We are more so than certainly our predecessors, but all Tamil Nadu governments have been that way. If you look back at the BJP government's track record of the last seven years, that is clearly not so. The poor and the weak have suffered substantially. The amount of joblessness has increased a lot. The share of the economy owned by the top five people and then the top 0.01% of the population has grown exponentially. And uh, this is the exact opposite philosophy to the philosophy that the DMK party and the government of uh, our Chief Minister MK Stalin advocates. If you look at the union government between 2014 and today, the share of total revenues that comes from direct taxes has dropped from 52, 53, 55 percent down to as low as 44, 45, 43 percent. Now they're trying to correct it. If you look at the projections in the medium-term fiscal plan presented by the union finance minister in February, they're trying to go back towards a more balanced uh, ratio. In fact, the ratio shouldn't be balanced at all. For economic justice, the OECD's guideline is 60% direct tax, 40% indirect tax. Because direct tax is inherently progressive. Once I know who I am taking it from, direct, near muha, I know your economic circumstances, I know what you can afford to pay, and I tax you according to your ability to pay. So for those who are really wealthy, not just do I collect more in quantity, but at a higher rate, the tax slab keeps increasing. Indirect taxes are uh, not knowing who is actually doing the buying, we collected at the point of sale as a classic example. So GST is a classic example, petrol diesel tax is a classic example. Most of the time the government knows the seller, if there is a GST party on the buyer side, the government knows the buyer, but in most cases the government doesn't know. Certainly the government doesn't know how much petrol or diesel each of us consume. So the problem with indirect taxes is that since you cannot set the taxation policy based on the ability to pay or the ability to spend or the economic circumstances, it is inherently regressive. What does regressive mean? It means that if you're a uh, you know, factory worker making 30 or 40,000 rupees a month, the proportion of your salary, your income that you spend on taxable goods and services and therefore the effective tax rate for GST or other sales taxes is going to be much higher than let's say a managing director at a bank that makes 10 or 15 crores a year. Because surely their petrol consumption doesn't go up 100 times or 1000 times compared to a person who's only making 50,000 rupees, right? So the richer a person is, the more likely they're going to save to invest to do spending not related to taxation on consumption, which is what GST is, it's taxation on consumption. So indirect taxes are inherently regressive and it's black and white that under this government in Delhi, the proportion of total revenue coming from indirect tax has greatly increased by lakhs of crores a year in, in actual quantitative terms. In percentage terms, I say up to 10%. The, I won't say the bulk, but a substantial portion of this indirect tax increase has come in taxation on energy products, in particular petrol, diesel, uh, sold at the pump. So if we just put this in perspective, when the UPA government left office in 2014, 
you must remember that uh, under the leadership of Dr. Manmohan Singh, they had already cut the excise taxation on petrol and diesel and issued uh, oil bonds to help offset that cut. And so what had been about 1440, I think, a liter of petrol back in 2011, when crude oil prices rose to, till then, un unheard, unseen record levels like $130 a barrel, they cut the excise down to 940 or something from 1440 and, uh, and then equivalent on diesel. So when oil prices rose, the government cut the taxes. When the NDA government came the first time, or the government of the Honorable Prime Minister, Mr. Modi, uh, they started getting a windfall, which is that oil prices kept dropping. Now, many of the taxes are percentage of the value of the base product. So, by natural outcome, you should have seen big drops in the pump. Let's put it in perspective. Oil, when I first started as a banker, I think around the turn of the century, it was around $10 a barrel or $9 a barrel. It climbed, it climbed, it climbed, it reached a peak of somewhere around $130 a barrel, I think, 2013-14. Then it dropped all the way, I think, maybe two or three years ago, it was down to about $30 a barrel. Then it started climbing again, maybe four years ago. And now, you know, based on the war, based on Russia, based on uh, Middle East tensions, etc., it's gone up and down. It's kind of crossed 100 after a long time and it stayed a bit above 100, went up, came down. But it's not yet reached the 130 uh, of the last uh, record. So when the oil prices kept dropping, just imagine from 130 down to 30, we should have seen petrol prices at the pump drop dramatically, like drop to a third or a quarter of what the prices had been, even if you allow for getting back the lost money for the oil bonds and all the stuff, the price should have gone down to 30, 40, 50 rupees a liter if it was one selling at 85, 87 rupees a liter when uh, oil was still $130 a barrel. But what happened instead, the union government kept increasing, increasing, increasing the taxes on petrol and diesel. And they did two things, right? The first is that they hiked the taxes substantively or in fact I would say exponentially, starting at 940 a litre in 2014, at its peak before this 5 rupee cut announced uh, ahead of the multi-state elections, the, the level was 32.40 or 32.20, something like that. So effectively, uh, more than three and a half times, uh, or about three and a half times, which means if it had been one rupee, it was now four and a half rupees, something, or three and a half rupees. Same way in diesel, they did it even more. So diesel, which had been three rupees and something, had gone up also to 27 or 28 or 30 rupees, if I have the exact number, uh, 31.80, almost 10 times, right? Uh, in the meantime, States took different approaches. In the state of Tamil Nadu, just to put it in context, between 2006 and 2011, when the last DMK government was run under the chief, chief ministership of our leader, Talayar Kalinga, uh, three times there were cuts in petrol and diesel uh, commercial taxes, NVAT, to accommodate the rising oil prices. Uh, in the regime that followed between 2011 and 2021, the ADMK raised uh, the VAT maybe two or three times. Uh, the last raise, to my knowledge, was in 2017 when I was an opposition member of the uh, assembly and they raised it by about three rupees a litre or something. And I, on behalf of the DMK, opposed the bill on its introduction, 24th of March 2017, and I argued saying that 
oil prices are on the wrong part of the cycle. Commodity cycles tend to be long duration. We went go from 10 to 130 down to 30. We started the climb again. We're at 50 or 55 now. This is not going to go down. It's going to go up. If you didn't raise taxes till now, please don't raise the taxes now because not only is it inherently unfair, we've talked about why it's regressive and it affects the common man and all that. But in my assembly speech on that day, it's, it's in the website, you can go pull the record. Uh, I said, because petrol and diesel are input costs for farmers, for fishermen, for logistics, for industries, you're going to find inflationary effects if you raise the tax. So this is not the right way to tax this. Now let me also maybe make a slightly different segue. The government make money, indirect taxes, direct taxes, also rates for electricity or, or uh, you know, um, property tax or, or how it sells milk or bus tickets. So there are many ways the government makes money or the government corporations or different arms of the government like the local bodies make money. When you think about these taxes, you have to think about whether inherently they can be made progressive and just or not, or whether they cannot, or whether it doesn't matter. For example, as long as you only sell milk in retail, it makes sense to somehow keep the price low because you want to make sure the poorest people can afford the milk. And there's no real wrong subsidy going to rich people because rich people cannot drink 20 liters of milk. I mean, everybody only drinks that much milk. So, in fact, if a rich person could have paid a greater price for milk and he pays a slightly lower price or a much lower price, it's not that big a loss to the exchequer. So, when you have these kind of limited consumption things, it's better to price it low and take the uh, hit if the government has any loss. When it comes to consumption of things like, uh, you know, bus travel, you can design for one variable. You can say that the cost of bus tickets will vary as a function of distance. But what you cannot control if you don't have a sophisticated system is who is the bus rider. In an ideal world, the government wants a different charge for people who make 10,000 rupees a month, a different charge for people who make 50,000 rupees a month, a different charge for people who make 5 lakh rupees a month. And if you actually could provide the kind of quality of service, fully electric, air conditioned, climate controlled, safe, uh, smooth, then you would be able to attract even the 5 lakh salary people to come and ride buses. That's what happens in advanced economies like Hong Kong or even in New York where the traffic is so unpredictable that even rich people ride the subway. Right? I was an investment banker there for many years. Some days you just take the subway because you can't guarantee to get to a meeting any other way. So if you have a sophisticated system where you know who the rider is, like in many of these places like Hong Kong, they have that uh, octopus card. In, in Oslo, they have some other. Once you have a cashless ID-based ridership, you know who the person is, you can charge them according to their ability to pay and because of that you can provide a superior service than if you just provided the base free service for everybody. So this is all taxation philosophy or revenue raising philosophy. Let's go to EB. EB you can make the rates progressive and we already have very progressive rates. We are likely to make them even more progressive. We say up to 100 units free, up to 200 units only 2 rupees, up to 500 units 3, 5 rupees, after that 8 rupees. You can do a progressive taxation such that you know that rich people are paying more and poor people are paying less. Not just in total amount, but in the percentage of taxation or rate of taxation. Same way property tax, you can do these kinds of things, right? Problem with petrol and diesel, you cannot do that. You, unless I require you to show an ID card at the pump and track how much petrol you're taking, you can't do that. So that's why when we lowered the petrol taxes, we said, petrol, we know the bulk of petrol consumption comes in the 2.x crore bikes that are ridden in Tamil Nadu. So immediately they will get a relief were we to cut the 
taxes on petrol in back in August of 2021. But diesel, in fact, A, the public transports are not moving, it's partly COVID locked and all that, a lot of people, but diesel is used for other things. What we can do instead is make it more targeted, give more diesel subsidy to the state transport corporations, give greater diesel subsidy to the fishermen welfare board, give greater diesel subsidy or support uh, or power to the agricultural uh, department. And therefore, we can find more targeted ways to do uh, a diesel subsidy rather than to do a price cut at the pump. Right? So the, we, we think about these things, we apply our mind and we get the data and we see what's happening and based on that we do it. So this was the history. Thank you.